Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the quick set to my schlage. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Dude, I hate you so much for that intro. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And our very own Asa Abloy. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing? I'm fine. I don't know that brand. Is that the best or is that the worst? You're the um, stone so, cold lock so, pick of the century. Okay, what so something you, you should know about locks. Um, <laughs> uh, almost all major brands of locks are produced under the umbrella of one company. That company is called Asa Abloy. Um, so like uh, Sargent, Pemco, Arrow Lock, like all of those are just Asa Abloy locks with different branding. Um, yeah. So I could have called you R.R. Brink, though. I thought about that. Baldwin. (laughs) I thought about multi-lock, but it was a little too on the nose. Um, All right. So Seahawks news this week. Uh, Russell Wilson redemption story. He came back to Seattle Children's Hospital. And for that, I will always respect him. Uh, That's that's my that's my um, that's my Russell Wilson thought. So good for you, Russ. Uh, I hope you lose every game next year. But uh, you're a good person. And (laughs) then. Okay, let's talk about the interview, Kevin. So we, I posted it in the Discord. Um, people were chatting it up about it, but de- uh, defensive coordinator uh, Clint Hurt went on to KJR and they asked him some really good questions and they had a really deep conversation, a uh, surprisingly nerdy conversation. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, it definitely was like very in depth. I, I appreciated that. Yeah, it was like it was very fo- football dork, which I, I, um, I appreciate it. He went deep on kind of the three, four concepts that we're going to be changing, how it will change things for our, our defense. So first let, let's sum up what, what Clint said. Um, so they're going to be using different looks in, in the secondary, you know, instead of uh, vision and break, they're going to do what he said. He said there, so there's vision and there's break, right? So when you play zone, you're going to, some teams do spot drops where you hit your depth and then you kind of look around you look at the quarterback, you're trying to read his eyes. And then, now you're gonna play. Now we're gonna be switching more to like playing the bodies, pattern matching. So like a guy that I think you, that that Seahawks fans would be familiar with that you could watch for good pattern matching um, is the, the the very evil, super dark uh, Fred Fred Warner, the 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 dark lord of the San Francisco 49ers defense. He's so good. He covers the whole field. Um, I hate to give compliments to 49ers players, but he is amazing. And uh, he really does a great job of like finding guys in his zones and pattern matching them and, and following them on their routes and stuff. And I think that that is what Clint Hurt is talking about here is that we want to do more stuff like that with our great middle linebacker athletes that we have, especially Jordan, Jordan Brooks, and maybe moving like Adams down into the box a little bit. So I think that's hmm. pretty cool. Um, then uh, a the lot other of- one I would say is if you want to watch 2020 tape of the Rams defense, because Brandon Staley is super into pattern match zone. Like he's all about that. Yeah. Okay. So do they have a guy as good as Fred Warner though? Because that's the thing about, no, when that's you watch- the best part is they have people that are not as good as him. So you can see how it still works even when you don't have like arguably the best coverage linebacker in the NFL. So, so you're saying it might work with Kev with uh, Eric's first true love. Uh, uh, you. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. The the I think that it's exciting. Like the three four defense, we get to play um the man, I'm just the, the thing, okay, I'm gonna go back. I, I've just been thinking so much about how like all these teams we hate, the Rams, the 49ers, these e- evil teams, right? The Cardinals, 
They all did a lot this off season. Um, and I, I, I just wonder like, does, does the three, four help us match up better with them? You guys think, or do you think that it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be them just destroying us in on day on, uh, on the offense. Oh, can I take hey, it first, Kevin? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to hurt us. My immediate well, it reaction was it, it can't hurt. Um, we the ideal situation is of course pressure with four, and the Seahawks have always said that. Uh, Seahawks were able to do that in the Legion of Boom days. They have not been able to do that for years, so that means a change has got to come. And if that means the three four, I feel like the three four is going to be fine. The only thing that really bothers me about <clears throat> the comments that her made were, um, you know, he wants to get he wants to bring you know Jamal Adams down into the box more, which I really like, but he and that probably means more blitzing. But he wants to have our athletic linebackers do more mirroring and do more coverage. And I feel like that's just uh, that could so be a bad recipe. It could. And I, I think we saw like last year where we were dropping guys into zones and we were doing more what he said before, right? Where their guys are hitting their depth and then looking at the quarterback. And it led to a lot of, you know, running backs running circle routes and catching the ball for for six yards over. Missed and over, assignments, right? yeah. And and this this might allow those linebackers to identify that circle route, come up on the, come up and make a play on that ball, as opposed to just sitting at their, at their, in their zone spots, you know, hitting, hitting the spot they're supposed to. So I think it might work a little better, but you're right. It is scary because we have seen some questionable coverage in, in the linebacking core over the last couple of years, or at least maybe not questionable, but more permissive when I, we're allowing, allowing a lot of yards, right? I don't know if any linebacking core can do, can do coverage as much as it's been asked or like, you know how we'd see Bobby Wagner for years go deep uh, covering, you know, any tight end or sometimes wide receivers. And it was like, how does this happen? You're setting up one of the greatest linebackers in modern NFL history to fail. That's not good for anyone. Kevin, you have uh, some deep dive on this, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I have some thoughts. So the couple of things I think are really interesting about um, Clint Hurd's shift to a 3-4 is it does something that we've talked about a lot on here, which is being able to deploy our personnel in more versatile ways. Um, the issue with a cover one, cover three system is when you have a single high safety, it's actually a lot harder for a safety to rotate back into a two high look. So it's really hard to run cover two, cover four, cover six um, off of a uh, cover one pre-snap look. Whereas rotating a safety down into the box out of a cover two or a cover four look is a lot easier to do. So that allows us to employ our safeties in a lot of different ways. And right now our safeties are, I think, pretty inarguably the strength of our defense. Um, Jamal Adams and Quadri Diggs should be one of the best safety duos in the NFL. And so for that reason, on one hand, I think... think there's a lot of there's a lot of incentive for this team to try to get three safeties on the field too, especially if Blair's healthy. Yeah, if Blair's healthy. There's incentive for us to try to get even more, say, go even deeper on playing more safeties. Yeah, like that's how that's how good our safety group is. Well, and does Ugo Amadi count as a safety? Because I feel like I think, in the safety role, he's a lot better than he was in the small at the, role. At this point, I think they are probably going to slowly transition him back to like safety slash special teams guy. Yeah, and then historically, the way that we've um, drafted and 
coached nickel corners. Like you have to be able to tackle to be a defensive back in our system. And so the difference between the slot corner and a, um, a box safety is not as big in our system as in a typical cover one, cover three system. So I think that the type of personnel that we deploy in what the back eight (laughs) or back, yeah, back eight of, uh, or back seven of our defense uh, makes a lot of sense for this type of system transition. And well, we could argue about whether or not it helps us cover the types of offenses that we see. I think in a lot of ways it does. The big thing is I think it matches the type of personnel that we have and the type of personnel that are coming out of college defenses a lot better. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, slight pass rushers that are making it to the NFL at this point that the Seahawks in the past have just had to kind of pass on because of the system that we ran, right? They just aren't good scheme fits. And now that opens up a whole nother category of player like a Boye Mafe and a Chena Nuosu. These guys who are just really, really talented athletes who can really, you know, get after it. And but I mean, they're I don't know 250 you, instead of 270. Yeah. Right. They're just yeah. not, they're not huge. Like we would need a guy uh, before to be. So I, I think that that works really good for us. It, it opens up a, a new category of player to us that was kind of, and that player is, is more common than the, the uh, four, three edge dominator. Yeah. The four, three edge dominator is an uncommon football player. That's like, you're drafting your Aiden that guy Hutchinson. in the top 10. Right. It's your Aiden Hutchinson. That's your, uh, you're uh, was Kayvon Thibodeau. That's that, that's those guys, right? Those are your four three edge dominators, and they just don't come around. They don't, those guys don't grow on trees, man. They're very talented, very good football players, and they they're harder to get than a, a guy who's two fifty. That body type is just um it's just more common, right? A great athlete at two fifty is more common than a great athlete at two eighty five. Yeah, I'd say it's the just, one frustration that Seahawks fans need to watch out for is um this system is vulnerable to really good inside zone. It asks a lot out of your safeties in run coverage because your safeties basically have to be able to read and turn into linebackers. Huh. Yeah, you, everyone everyone has to fit. Like you, you can't get away with it as much. And also, your linemen need to like take up a lot of space to to mess up stuff like that. So, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm in, I'm into it. I'm into the switch to the three four. I think when the, when the Seahawks four three was at its absolute peak. Uh, we just lined up in the same formation every time and ma- and made it really difficult for the quarterback because they didn't know exactly what we were going to do, right? And ideally, in a three-four, you're doing basically the same thing. So I I like I like the switch to a to a to a three-four. And I mean, we picked up we have Brooks, we have Barton, we picked up a linebacker from Chicago. So you know, our defensive coaching staff knows exactly what they're getting in a Joel Iwigbene. But I'm gonna have to practice that. <laughs> Igbenui, okay. All right, but that, that they know exactly what we got in this guy, right? Like, he's 26. He was on Chicago for three years. They they know who he is. He's definitely going to be a quality backup. They did not bring him in to, to uh, because he sucks, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to I talk about a, a big thing, though, the big topic for today. So throughout this Seahawks draft process, uh, the talking heads, who I also will call evil, the 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 um Sauron himself over at CBS Sports have really trashed the Seahawks draft because we did not take a quarterback. Um, <laughs> they I don't I don't understand. Uh, okay, so let's 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 take a let's take a a, a big view. Um, do you guys th- would you guys rather have had Malik Willis than any of the Seahawks' first four picks? Let's just start with that. That's a no for me. I, 
that seems like a, that seems like the popular sentiment among these talking heads is that we should have taken Malik Willis over any of these first four picks that we no took. So Charles Cross is a hard no. Boye Mafe is still a no for me. Boye Mafe is a late round one pick. Um, Ken Walker, I think, is the one that you could argue, but I personally wouldn't. I think um, he offered, I'd rather have a running back who's going to go late round one, early round two in every single draft than a quarterback who's going to go in this like late second to third round in almost every draft. And just really quickly, um, there's a lot of like, I'm going to call them Twitter dorks that, that have put a lot of words onto, into the, into the Twitter sphere about how um, the running backs, you can get good running backs in the late rounds and, and that, that, and that the C, the Seahawks wasted a pick here. Um, almost every good running back in the NFL was picked in the second or third round. And yeah, and I did a really big t- deep dive on this in the uh, Discord on t- to kind on of top of that numbers. Whenever I see them post one of the charts, it's like, oh, you know, like EPA versus this, and then they'll put like minimum three hundred rushes or something like that. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Like a lot of running backs that get picked after round three are total flameouts who never touch the ball once, or they touch the ball five times. Like how many? Eno Benjamins get picked in the in the last four rounds of the NFL draft. These guys who what? How many career carries does Eno Benjamin have? Like thirty. These that's the kind of player you're getting if you pick in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. Like this yeah. is the fun about being on a podcast. But we got Chris Carson in the seventh, Nathan. Yes, there are you. There are hits at every position after yeah. the third round. So should we only draft quarterbacks in, in the third round or later because we got Russell Wilson and Tom Brady that got picked after the third round? Probably. You know what? Actually, Tony Romo was an undrafted free agent, and actually every undrafted free agent with over 10,000 passing attempts uh, is really good. That's true. <laughs> like like th- that's the kind of stat they're throwing out there though it's like it's like you cannot disregard these guys who did literally nothing every that wide is... receiver born on a wednesday that attended a state no, college that caught at least 300 passes <laughs> you know it was a borderline uh, 10, Hall of 000, or better Ten thousand was an overshoot let's go with four thousand because <laughs> tony romo has 4300 okay so so for every quarterback undrafted free agent quarterback with over four thousand passing attempts is a straight banger they're so good I'm going to guess the list is Tony Romo and that's it. Maybe some like guys from the 60s and 70s yeah, that Just I don't to back you with this. So um, after I did my deep dive, here's what the numbers shook out to. So I looked at the 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019 drafts. Uh, and so what I was looking for were how many running backs were taken on day three, rounds four through seven, and how many of them um, received, uh, basically had uh, 10 points or more of accumulated value in their career. This is a statistic for uh, football reference, which is a, basically a way of saying, if you have less than 10 points, you have not contributed. If you have more than 10 points, you've contributed at least a little bit. So these are just players that were basically successful rotational backs or better. So 2016, there were 16 running backs taken. <clears throat> the top three were Jordan Howard, Alex Collins, and DeAndre Washington, um, with Devontae Booker tied with DeAndre Washington for value. 13 out of 16 players... Uh, of those running backs accumulated less value than 10. So 13 out of 16 were, were basically washouts. 2017, high value, Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, Jamal Williams, all really good backs. Well, 12 out of the 19 backs taken were a wash. 2018, 13 backs taken. The top three are Naeem Himes, uh, Chase Edmonds, and Justin Jackson. 10 out of 13 players were washes. 
And then one thing I'm one thing I'm noticing too is that s- some of these guys you're saying are not even really that good. I don't want Justin Jackson to be my starting <laughs> to be my starting or even back. Jamal Williams who's solid or DeAndre Washington or Devontae Booker. Like if they're your number two or number three back, like you're fine with that. But you, they're not like out of this list. You could maybe argue Jordan you know, Howard if you hate passing. Do Aaron you know what Jones, you get, Chris Carson? You know. Do you know what you get if you draft running backs after the third round? You get DJ Dallas and you get Travis Homer. Not that there's anything wrong with those guys, but you like if that, guys. Th- those guys d- should deserve to be on an NFL roster. But like they are not, uh, they're not the guy you need tote in the rock. And look, like look at the the last couple of years, these guys getting picked in the seventh, th- second round, third round. This is where the good running backs go: Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers. Like the good running backs go in the second round. And oh, what do the, what do those teams have in common? Well, the Ravens are really good. The 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 Colts are really good. I don't see anyone slagging off the Rams for taking Cam Akers in the second round. Like this, I I feel like this is a, a Seahawks specific criticism that like people think it's okay to draft a running back in the second round as long as it's like literally the last piece you're missing. So so like yeah, so Detroit sucks because they took DeAndre Swift first as opposed to drafting some like mediocre second round quarterback. Although I think Davis Mills was available and he's the goat. So maybe they should have done that, but, (laughs) but, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, um, they just, you just need to, this is where you get your good running back in the second or third round. This is how, that's how the NFL works. And yeah, it, it sucks to be the roster now. That's just add quarterback. And this would be a really competitive roster, but, um, that you have to start somewhere. And I think getting the quarterback last is generally more successful than getting the quarterback first. Look at what happened to the bears who got the quarterback first. And I think they're going to be worse this year than they are. They were last year. Yeah. So whereas the Browns have really like bungled their quarterback situation in a lot of different ways, but still were competitive for the last three seasons um, compared to the bears that like kind of haven't been. Yeah. Now, and now they're dropping, now they're dropping the quarterback into like the perfect situation. Um, okay. So let's, so we got to talk about the quarterbacks that are left then. So we just, we disagree with the, with the talking heads that, that we should not have picked a a running or a Malik Willis at any of these picks. Um, if, if there's one thing that Schneider and, and Carol have proven over time, it's that they understand completely. They understand completely how to, uh, identify quarterbacks. Right. They're rumor they, you know, we get those articles every year that they were in on Mahomes. They were in on Allen. They they obviously drafted Wilson. Like they understand quarterback evaluation. And if they looked at this year's quarterbacks and said, Nope, all bad. I mean, who am I to disagree at this point? And I, I don't totally disagree. I said it in the, on the podcast. I think that these guys are all second round or worse values that are going to get picked in the first round because there's a QB fetish in the NFL. And it actually didn't even play out. They were bad enough that <laughs> that they couldn't even overcome overcome that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, so we got to talk, talk about the guys who are left, right? Yep. All right, so the Seahawks look to be heading into the season with uh, with a quarterback comp, a small quarterback competition. Uh, I we have on one hand we oh, have Geno Smith. Four, that's not small. <laughs> on one hand we have Geno Smith, a uh, guy that we all know very well, and on the other side we have Drew Locke. Also six. Well, it's a we very reasonable size quarterback competition. We need to uh, we need to go in deep on Drew Locke, I think, because Drew Locke is a guy who. 
we don't know as much about. We, we he's you know he's been far away in in the mountains of Denver. Uh, there are serious Drew Lock truthers. Here's the thing about Drew Lock that I did not know: Drew Lock is 25, right? Yep. He is much younger than I uh, than I expected. I I did not expect him to be about 10 years uh, 10 years younger. Yeah, than played me. snaps so, as a true freshman in 2015, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. So really, really crazy uh, for for Drew Lock. I um all right. So Eric, start us off. We we all I uh, posted in the in the secret channel. That we were gonna do some Drew Lock, some Lock talk. Yes, Lock and, on uh, what, Lock. What, what do you? What did you? What did you find when you started to look into Lock? Well, I started looking into things such as uh, <laughs> people who who like Drew Lock, people who love Drew Lock. Uh, his girlfriend came up first, so that's just a side note. Um, I thought I thought maybe you'd like that because are you an are you an A scout? Can you tell us uh, how confident he must be in himself based on that? Based on that, uh, he's he's one of the most confident guys I've ever seen. His uh, girlfriend looks like Marsha Brady. Uh, good sign. Good sign. Yeah, uh, Marsha Brady. Uh, you know, if she were now not seventies, Marsha Brady. Uh, no, uh, Drew Locke, Honestly, like I, I don't want to buy into the Pete Carroll. Um, he would have been the number one pick in the draft, sort of thing. Pete always has like this this past tense talk yeah. about draft where Pete- he. Pete said he's happy with the QB room and that Locke would have been the first QB off the Man, board this year. That's just like uh uh Kristen Michael was the first player on their draft board. Like Oof. get <laughs> get out of here, Pete. I I'm people are like, you know, if you're not positive got all the time. That low, Eric. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're not a positive person, you're a negative person. I'm like, well, I must be negative because Pete is annoying me with his super positivity, but no, Drew Locke is a guy that has struggled with his accuracy issues going back to college at Missouri, but overall looking at who he was going up against in this year's draft, much better than guys there. And this is a guy who can improve. This is a guy who can be a game manager who may be able to find DK on a fade route or a deep route. He's also a guy, unlike Russell, who'll be able to find those players up the middle without scrambling for seven seconds first. That's something we have not had in the Seahawks for a long time. Um, it's it's going to take some time with his offensive line, and I don't know if we're going to come out in that first game and be a great team, but I feel like Drew Locke is a guy who can actually step in and probably surprise some people. I'm also yeah. way more optimistic on this year than a lot of other people. So one thing is that uh, Locke's his first four game, or five games, he went four and one, mm-hmm. and it was in kind of a – a West Coast style uh, offense that is, I think, a lot closer to what um, he's going to be running here. Yeah, it's a rhythm offense than than what he ran the what they ran the last the last two years in um thing. So he's he wants to uh, to get the off the ball, ball out of the hand quickly. We're going to be doing zone zone runs. Uh, we're going to be doing that. So I think yeah, Locke is a better chance than uh than most kevin when you started to dig deep into uh into little drew lock what'd you what'd you think so the first thing i actually did was go back um based on pete's comments and i looked at my write-ups for the 2019 nfl draft because mm. i was going well would drew lock have been the first quarterback i would have drafted in this draft mm. and when i look at it uh, i wrote up that he has good size adequate athleticism he can scramble to pick up a first down big arm capable deep passer Accuracy trends positive, but not a desirable level. Um, his he topped out at like sixty three percent completion percentage his senior year, but uh, it was lower the previous seasons. Though a lot of drops on tape. 
Okay, that's a stat um, I didn't know. He could so, fit into a play-action deep passing game, but his footwork needs a lot of fix, and he his accuracy needs to be protected by a system until he figures that out. So that is exactly what I I went back I went back and looked at draft notes too, and one thing I noticed immediately was his footwork, his footwork, and he and it's still bad. Yep, three years later, he still has not, and all his inact all his accuracy and touch issues. Um, are are directly related to that to throwing um, off it, his back foot to not he's an arm thrower. into it. Yep. Yeah, he's a total arm thrower, and he like he'll drop his arm slot and and make bad throws because of it. If and I don't know if that's something you can fix at age twenty five. I think we're uh, we might be hoping for too much, but he he does have good arm talent when he when he sets his feet and throws and he makes good movement in the pocket. He can really hit hit with anticipation. So you know. for that reason, in this draft, my top quarterback was um, Malik Willis, followed by Sam Howell. And based on having a very similar skill set, I would put Locke over Howell. And um, just based on the fact that he was able to more consistently pass. Th- so there's an aspect of his game I'll talk about in a minute. But I actually do think Locke would have been probably my 1A, 1B with uh, Malik Willis. Okay. I don't totally disagree with that assessment either. So one thing I looked for was I was like, I'm going to try to find out what Broncos fans said about Drew Locke because Broncos fans, there was definitely some Drew Locke truthers in Broncos uh, nation. Drew Locke never got a fair shake. And I, I get why there's Drew Locke truthers. Jets fuel doesn't I, melt Drew Locks. <laughs> Drew, Drew Locke, <laughs> when, he is, when he is on – it is a sight to behold. He can he can have stretches of games where he is incredibly good, uh, but also he can have stretches of games where he is um, uh, not incredibly not good. And so I found this really cool article from Mile High Report on SB Nation. It's um it's he compared Drew Locke's first eighteen starts to seventy other quarterbacks and used used percentile ranks. And uh, I'm not going to read everything from this article because it's a lot of stat stat dorking, but I will just tell you this. Among quarterbacks that received at least 18 starts, uh, Drew Locke is very average. Yep. He is right in the middle. Um, they This guy put them into buckets based on most similar mm-hmm. stats. Um, Locke is in cluster eight and uh, – or no, cluster nine, and the quarterback's in here. Uh, Derek Carr, Andrew Luck, Christian Ponder – Matt Schaub, Brock Eisweiler, Jason Campbell, and Jameis Winston. And I think like this is a group of quarterbacks that I think most of us would describe as very average. Mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, it's a real mixed bag. Like Schaub, Schaub's all right. I like Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub was pretty all right. Uh, obviously, Derek Carr, very good. Um, I'm a Jameis Winston truther, so yeah, I'm sure. obviously going to support there. Christian Andrew Ponder, Luck. Andrew Luck. And that name's like. Andrew Luck, huh? very good. Christian Ponder. Very bad. Uh, Brock Osweiler, very bad. Jason Campbell, eh, pretty. He's okay. So, hey, the in thing this is, stat is, deep dive, did it go over um, the change in uh, offensive coordinators? So here's the thing. Uh, okay, is that very few of these quarterbacks played for multiple coaches, but there is one notable one that has a lot of similarity to Locke that did. Okay, and that's uh, Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill has very similar pre-lock, but he he improved 
immensely from a change in scenery. So I think like the hope for the Seahawks is they capture that that outlier, that that lightning in a bottle. Drew Locke is Ryan Tannehill and is able to improve greatly. The problem with this idea is that Tannehill was still learning the position as he came into the NFL. He was a wide receiver in college. Uh, he did not have a lot of quarterback experience. He was still developing as a quarterback. Drew Locke has always been a quarterback. There's no development curve here. I would be surprised. The other quarterback that they, they said improved a lot that they could compare to is Kirk Cousins. Um, I would be surprised if he had a jump in accuracy like Kirk Cousins did. I feel like that is also kind of a an <clears throat> outlier. Uh, a diff, uh, Something just weird happened. So, yeah, I, I, I'm setting my expectations pretty medium for Drew Locke. I don't think he's bad. Let's just start with that. Um, I think the I was a little too harsh on him. He's not that bad. He's just not good either. He's just kind of in the middle somewhere in that Andy Dalton range, right, where he's just okay. Um, his first 18 games compare very favorably to Andy Dalton as well. Um, he's in that, I don't know. Tannehill, Drew, Derek Anderson, you know, these guys who are just like, they're not bad, but they aren't going out there and winning you very many football games. All right. So I dirt out big on this. Um, so one thing I noticed that I liked is uh, Drew Locke's time to throw in college. He was uh, frequently in the uh, like 2.5 to 2.7 seconds in the NFL. He's hovering right around 2.8. Uh, 2.85 in 2019, 2.79 in 2020, 2.82 in 2021. Um, to compare that with a couple quarterbacks we know, uh, Russell Wilson in 2021 was 2.78. So pretty similar time to throw as Russ last year. Um, that's about 0.2 seconds faster than Geno Smith, which again is kind of a benefit for our offensive line. Getting rid of the ball in under three seconds, though, is pretty important. Uh, another thing that I went ahead and t- took a look on, based on his college film, what I decided to do was track a specific thing that I noticed about his passes to see what happened. And that is, hmm. Drew Locke breaks down under pressure. When he gets pressured, his mechanics go to dirt. And I was going, okay, well, uh, let me take a look at what that does in the NFL. Um, so passing grade. So just taking PFF passing grade was a nice way to do this. Um, it's a pretty decent conglomeration of this. So in 2019, his passing grade when clean was 71.6. His passing grade when pressured was 34.9. His passing grade when clean in 2020 was 86.1. His passing grade when pressured was 26.5. Ugh. Oof. Um, and then last year was a much more limited sample set, but we still see a 20 point difference between his clean and pressured passing grade. And so I was going, okay, well, what are some other quarterbacks I can see that pattern with quarterbacks where when they are a clean in a clean pocket, they are, you know, a top 10 quarterback. And when they are in a pressured pocket, they are a bottom five quarterback. I came Tom out with, Brady. <laughs> I came out with three names that I thought were interesting because of systems they've played in. Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, and Jimmy Garoppolo. I've actually seen this Matthew Stafford comparison to Locke a lot, um, which is weird to me because Stafford is so much better at throwing a football than Drew Locke. Uh, Stafford, Stafford is so much was actually Sta- his um, his draft comp. Yeah, I know that's I'm, that's what I'm saying. But Stafford is Stafford is so much better at throwing a football than like everyone. 
Like that guy is just super good. I'm his I'm mechanics are, are Matthew Stafford has S tier uh, arm talent, but I would say that Drew Locke has A tier arm talent. Okay, I can I can get with that. His, if his footwork was as was good, he'd be it perfect basically yeah yeah and so um matthew stafford uh his rookie year his clean passing grade was 56.5 and his pressured was 29.9 but over his career there's a pretty solid trend of him being about 20 to 30 points higher with a clean pocket um obviously everyone's better clean when than pressured but these are some quarterbacks with some significant differences um i also jimmy garoppolo was funny to me just because uh his so I took 2019 and 2021, the only seasons he actually played like an entire season. And uh, in 2019, he had a 90.9 passing grade when clean and a 42.7 when pressure. When he needed a shower. Oh, dang it. <laughs> and uh, in 2021, so last season when he was, you know, clutch or whatever PFF wants to say, 21 or 91.3 when uh, clean, 27.4 when pressured. Um, Duke cannot handle his pressure, but uh, the the point being, in an offense that wants you to basically take the throw that they give you, that's the type of offense that is likely to give you more clean pockets because it's giving you. Uh, Drew Locke's able to read and diagnose. He's just not confident against certain types of coverages. If he's being given a clear set of reads, I think that's going to lead to more clean pocket passes, which is when his footwork and his mechanics are less of a problem. Because otherwise, he kind of has a tendency to Carson Wentz it, where his mechanics break down and he'll like airmail a outlet pass to a running back. But then on the next play, he'll do a tight window throw to an X receiver on the sideline between the safety and the corner. Hmm. So that was where my deep dive went was... Um, his ability to be an adequate quarterback is directly tied to whether or not we can keep him clean. So the offensive line picks matter a lot. The other thing is, I think like Jared Goff, he's the kind of quarterback who can function as a bridge quarterback. And he's the type of quarterback who is at least talented enough that you can figure out what the rest of the offense does. He's not one of those quarterbacks where he's so bad, you can't really even tell what's going on. It's like when... a uh, um, uh, Nathan, help me think of this. Like, there's certain quarterbacks you put in there, and you're like, I don't even know how good this offense is because this guy can't run it at all. Oh, like it's just the uh, okay. So the the quarterback is so bad. Like Johnny Manziel. When Johnny Manziel Sam, was in there, Sam I Sam Darnold. <laughs> yeah, Sam, Sam Darnold. <laughs> Sam Darnold is fundamentally broken. I can't tell what the offense is supposed to be when he's. I don't in even there. know what they're trying to. I don't even know what they're trying to do. I just know it's not working. I like, just know the, it's going to take more than three seconds for it to happen, and it's probably going to result in a fumble. So, so yeah, so Drew Locke is interesting for that reason, because if we can keep him upright, he can at least let us evaluate what our offense looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hmm. I, 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 okay. So where I stand on the, on the, in the Drew Locke verse here. So I understand why, why Waldron is starting off Gino in first place. He wants Locke to win the job because if he does win the job by playing better than Gino, he will have like the the team, right? Like that that lets him win over the the team as well. So I get why they're doing it like that. It is annoying because we have seen what Geno Smith has to offer and it is not it, it we know what we're getting, I think at this point. G, the thing about Drew Locke is, is who we think there is, is there is still some hope of untapped potential, right? G, Drew Locke is a uh, 
is only 25. Geno Smith's 31. Like it, this is who he is. And he's a, he's a, he is a quarterback who could fill in adequately on a very good team and go 500. And this fun fact, this is not a very good team. This is a, this is a team that has a few gaps still, especially at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And um, so is, is going to need, you know, a quarterback who could potentially elevate the team for a drive or two. And I just don't see Gino as the guy to do that. Um, one thing though, if, if we do end up starting Gino, make sure to get DK Metcalf in fantasy because he really fed DK <laughs> the, the weeks that he was the starter. He uh, throw it to DK was part of the, the plan for him. 100%. So yeah, that's my, that's my uh, Gino Smith tip. If he does end up winning the job uh, somehow. Do you guys have any thoughts of more thoughts about the quarterback battle? Is Jacob Eason a legitimate sleeper? No. Or no. is he just a death guy? Eason has had a weird um I have problems saying career. Geno Smith is even in competition. Uh, Geno Smith Eason is, is definitely had... in competition, but it's I, cool. I know like... he is. I just have a problem like if we're talking about Eason, I'm like, no no no, it's 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 Smith and Locke, but I have a I just don't believe in Geno Smith at all. Eason's a weird one because he's He's 6'6", 231. He can make a lot of really good throws. He, he, The things that he did at, uh, in Washington, like dropping back like a million steps, uh, and he take, takes just like a – he has really inconsistent – like his touch is off. He just doesn't have great feel. Also for, on a scale of 1 to 10, his pocket awareness is a negative 7. Mm. Yeah, he, he needs to he needs to speed up when the when the pressure starts to come instead of just panicking and falling down. That is, he does not speed up his processing. He just is like, okay, it's over. Or he drops back really far and takes an even worse sack. Yep. Which is, he, he has some really bad habits. But like, if they, if you could like fix that guy's brain a little bit, man, his, he can really chuck it around the football field. He could be like so, Drew Locke. Hmm. He could be like the next Brock Osweiler. That's probably <laughs> what he actually is. Um, okay. The Seahawks uh, quarterback situation, um, week one. Who is the starting quarterback, Eric? Oh, Eric dropped right when I said that. Kevin. <laughs> uh, Drew Locke. I think... you, so you're confident Drew Locke is going to win that job? Yeah, I just think that he's ultimately a more talented quarterback who gives you a better chance to evaluate the offense. All right, Eric, who's the starting quarterback week one? <sighs> Drew Locke. All right. I'm going to go Drew Locke as well. Lock it, lock it in. There's not there's nothing quite like it. Uh, Drew Locke will be the Seahawks starting quarterback in week one. It it would be surprising if he made the leap to me just looking at historical data. But if there's anything that could fix it, changing teams, getting in there with a new offensive coordinator and a new system. Uh, we saw it with Tannehill. I think that's the that's the hope is that he is the next Ryan Tannehill Minus the being a jerk about mentoring. Uh, <laughs> I want to be really clear. Group. When I say make the leap, for me, I see Drew Locke making the leap to like 20th to 20th, 5th best quarterback. I don't, I don't think I he's think making he, that huge leap. I think that he's already close to there. Like, I think there that really, he was a really bad pick for Pat Shermer's offense. Um, let's, let's, let's see. NFL quarterbacks. Okay, wait. Uh, 2022 starters. Okay. So are there 25 guys I think are clearly better than uh, Drew Locke? Josh Allen, definitely. Patrick Mahomes, for sure. Rodgers, yes. Burrow, yes. Brady, yes. Herbert, yes. Watson, Murray, Prescott, Wilson, Jackson, Stafford, Tannehill, Ryan, Carr. Okay. Uh, Kirk Cousins, yes. 
Jared. Okay, we're we're in a zone here now. Like you think that Jimmy G, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, he can get into this tier. That's what I'm saying. That's the no tier problem. I'm looking that's, at him that's getting like, into. That's like that's like the 18th best quarterback in the NFL. Um, I think some of these guys below him make the leap. This, I mean, this list that I'm looking at has him ranked 25th already, <laughs> which which is uh, he he's ahead of okay. Jameis. So I guess instead of saying yeah. around, I was okay. Instead of 20th to 25th, I think he can make the jump into the 18th to 22nd best quarterback. I like Ooh, that. Mitchell's Mitch Risky. Oh, they put Davis Mills below him. Disagree, Davis Mills. <laughs> respect. Uh, get that. on. Get re- yeah. Respect Davis Mills. He's. He was way too good for how bad that Houston team was last year. Davis Mills is a, is a sleeper. Hey, one thing I was thinking about the other day is what if our plan is for the Bears to do horribly with Justin Fields for another year and then like rescue him for a third round pick? What do you think of that? I'd be on board. Would you be into that, Eric? Sure, I guess so. The next year we we draft another like offensive lineman in the top ten or like a defensive end, and we just go get Justin Fields for like a third and a. What was that? What was the the Darnold package? A second and a fourth? Uh, Anything with Darnold is. No, two thirds was the Wentz package. Sam Darnold trade. I feel like that's. Is there a second in the Sam Darnold trade? Sam Darnold, a second and a fourth. Yeah. So a second and a fourth. Uh, If our second's really good, I don't want to do that. I I would kind of rather just draft a guy because then we don't have to worry about how another team might have messed them up. And that's what you're looking that's at, Justin Fields, yeah. But that's I mean, definitely Bears, if we're picking yeah, like 100%. closer to twentieth, then like sure, I'll trade the second and the fourth. It's it's gonna be interesting because I don't know. Our schedule's really easy. So I could totally see us, you know, fluking our way to seven and ten or even eight and nine, you know, kind of with a some close wins that Pete Carroll coaching style keeps games close and then and then all of a sudden our our pick is just not that good. <laughs> It's like we're picking fifteenth, and now we'd have to we'd have to either give up a lot of draft capital to go get the guy that we want, you know, to get this C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson or whoever whoever is the guy for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of but it's interesting. If, we're in it. Maybe the Broncos just just fumble the season and they have the third overall pick. If Russell Wilson gets hurt, that's very possible. Yeah. They, they're uh they're what is, what is their backup quarterback right now denver broncos depth chart they're in, they're kind of like us where if the quarterback gets hurt they're very bad because they're going to josh johnson yeah if their quarterback gets hurt they're basically <laughs> the worst version of last season's team 36 year old josh johnson eric they also have brett rippon <laughs> from boise state which Mark the, those are son yes they might as well he has to I, be I'll, he has to be. He is. Um, the the thing is, is that if they if they if Russell Wilson gets hurt, they they might as well start Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon at quarterback and do some like weird wildcat stuff. Yeah, like they, like, they it will be. They should have done last year. Get them both on the field at the same time. Go back to Kendall Hinton. <laughs> they could have kept Von Miller if they had just put him in at QB. Uh, all right, let's let's get to the the money zone. There are many ways to support the the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so is over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as a dollar twenty four a month, join into the Discord. Be like uh, Trevor, our most recent uh, joiner, and um, yeah, uh, support the show and join up in the Discord. Uh, thanks to those who are supporting in the month of May. Jose Daniel. Oh wait. Let me hit this button. This button puts him in the order. Andy, <laughs> Brett, do it all for the Tucci. Evan, Floctimus, Greta, James, Jose, Lucas, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, Manuel, Astro, Blake, Bob, Casey, Daniel, David, Foles, Jay, Leon, Michael, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Warwolf, Brandon, 
Nick, everyone else who supports the show. Thank you guys. Uh, appreciate you all. Uh, all right. So then, uh, okay. We, we did a, uh, we did. Oh, sorry. I, Kevin started laughing and then I was like, what is he laughing about? And then I realized he's laughing because he knows what I'm going to say. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. So I was thinking of what could we do to uh, thematically link our Seahawks section and our movie club session. And I thought, all right, guys, let's think of movies that have locks in them. Uh, either lock picking the worst. Uh, or just, just uh, heist That's locks, so lock breaking. There are a lot of locks in movies. I've, I realized after starting this research that uh, locks in movies is kind of a thing. And so, all right, let's uh, let's start with you, Eric. We're gonna do a fave oh, five lock. Don't we're gonna start lock with me. That's not fair. This is your thing. Okay. You are kicking us uh, off. Okay, fine. Five, fave five locks, right? So I'm gonna go with uh, Guy Ritchie's 1998 classic, starring the immortal Sting. Lock, stock, stock oh and two gosh. smoking. Barrels. All right, I guess I'll cross that off my list because yeah. that was the joke I was gonna make. <laughs> uh, yeah, great. First of all, great tagline. Uh, a disgrace to criminals everywhere. <laughs> just a just an excellent excellent tagline. Um, start shot off the movie crew of Vinnie Jones, uh, who is uh, you know just a great like character actor British villain. Uh, has Sting doing Sting stuff. He's amazing in this movie, and of course Jason Statham, uh, Jason Fleming, Dexter Fletcher, Nick Moran. There, this is just a a really solid, um, fun fun. It's funny. This movie is funny, okay? I think like if you read the synopsis and you're like, you'd be like, oh, this movie's gonna be real serious, or it's gonna be like a, this movie is is funny. I mean, it's the it's <laughs> basically the trial run for Snatch. Yeah, and it does a lot of the same things well, just not quite at as high a level. Yeah, it's got the crisscrossing storylines. It's a heist. There's tons of like crazy editing. Good music. And it's funny <laughs> that guy when Guy Ritchie makes funny movies, they're really good. That's why I don't understand why Guy Ritchie doesn't make more funny movies, because I'm going to probably come circle back to another Guy Ritchie movie later in this. But when his movies are funny, they're super, super good. And when they're not funny, they're like super. All right. <laughs> they're just not. A, they're his, not. He they're, has a, they're not. They're not lovable. How's his that? his style of editing really lends itself to to just like like a dark humor. comedy yeah to to humor the way he smash cuts it in he can really do that with a dark comedy and in, in a way that i think is really satisfying anyway uh, i'll kick it over to you kevin what, what are you locking in for our second movie for the fave five all locks? right so i was thinking about lock situations oh yeah 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 and um so one situation in which uh a locking can take place is um you know, when you're locked up, you're in prison. Yeah, I thought about jail yeah. movies as part of this too. I, I would totally, I'm totally into this line of thinking. And so, you know, I was going like, okay, what are some great prison movies? Con Air, of course, comes to mind. The Rock, though they're not really locked up in The Rock, though there is a lock on, uh, on you know, um, uh, Sean Connery's character when he's introduced. Uh, they also cut his locks of hair. But I'm going to go with... Um, <laughs> it's also not called The Lock. I'm going to go with... I, I narrowed it down to two. There's two. Do you want to? Do you want us to? Do you want us to, to push you in a direction? You looking I, for input? I, I'm, I'm looking for input because when I think about okay. prison movies that are excellent movies, um, you know, it's a little bit different flavor than we normally go with. But I narrowed it down to the Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. and That's Cool the first Hand time that comes Luke. To mind for me, okay, because oh, cool, cool Hand Luke is 
amazing. Shawshank Redemption is amazing. They're both great movies in different ways, and they both give a prison experience. Um, cool Hand Luke does get a slight upper hand because I believe uh, chain gangs are literally locked together, so there is more locks in that movie um, for the purpose of this very stupid theme. But they are both uh, both excellent prison movies. Uh, other prison movies I thought about too. I just wanted to throw these in there. Green Mile, I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, do we do we consider uh, do we consider like Thirteen Monkeys to be or was it wait is it twelve Thirteen I can't even I don't Twelve, 12 monkeys. monkeys Yeah, that's uh, uh, as anyway. far as Kevin's uh, Kevin's two choices go. I'm going Cool Hand Luke. I enjoy that movie more, but also uh, for this you see. Anytime he makes his escapes, you know he has to he has to check with a box and with a boss, and he has to get something unlocked. Um, focusing more on that lock scene, and um, then he has to like f- you know find a kid to you know hammer the chains to basically unlock his binds. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll lean towards Cool Hand Luke in this situation. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on this. I think they're both great movies. They really are. Um. Throw them both in. I'm just glad I got to bring up 12 Monkeys as a prison movie. That's, that's, <laughs> uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put Cool Hand Luke in now, and we'll circle back to Shawshank when we go to, for, the, for the rest. But I, right. I don't feel like there's a wrong choice in those pair. Uh, Eric, now what are you doing? Different kind of lock. I just didn't want to go first because this is it's the crazy choice. Because when you think of locks, you think of getting out of something that you're, you're bound in, that you can't get out of. And uh, if I'm going with a crazy choice, I go with a crazy person and I lean towards the Lethal Weapon series. Oh, no. And in that, I'm going Lethal Weapon 2 when faced with death, Mel Gibson has to get out of his straitjacket with his Mm -hmm. dislocated shoulder. A different way of breaking the lock, something that is locked and it does not break. He still gets out of it. Escape. I mean, he breaks something breaks. Yes. Something breaks his shoulder. So so real quick. Uh, I also like way to rip off Lethal Weapon, but that's fine. Yeah, but Lethal Weapon Two had the higher stakes, Kevin. So we're going with the sequel, and we go with the series because it's in every single one. Because you got to show how <laughs> crazy Riggs is. That's yeah, true. He's, that's he's, true. A, he's a wild man. I don't know if you know this or not, but he's a loose cannon. You could tell because he sits on his desk <laughs> instead of his chair. <laughs> and he turn it, turn in your badge and your gun, Riggs. He's a detective uh, who wears a hat. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm into it. That's fine. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, He's also been a mental prison of addiction. How about okay? Let's get our let's get our last two. Okay. Can I throw down uh, one? I really want to put in here is dread because they're in lockdown. Ah, mm, interesting. What about what about the prestige? That's well, the a master great of all locks. I think that has to be in here. Sorry, dread. Everything happening in that. Sorry, dread. You're out. I'm in the prestige. prestige. The well, prestige was my the prestige was my secret weapon to get one in the five guaranteed because I knew as soon as I said it, you guys would be like, "Yes." <laughs> okay, so we're in the last magic. spot. Uh, sure. Yeah, you got to escape. Got to escape the locks, dude. It's a. It's, I mean, he's locked in the. Well, he's he he actually doesn't escape. He just dies. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> That's prestige. <laughs> that doesn't sound very prestigious. All right. Okay, wait. We'll be back when we do our rubber ball themed one. Um, okay, last spot. Uh, most most accurate lock picking in movies. A Terminator Two has really accurate lock picking. Uh, the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movie has really accurate lock picking. 
Um, I do think it would be worth putting actual accurate lock picking into the Fay Five, and those are both really good movies. Um, so that's that would be my other suggestion: is that like putting a, a an actual accurate lock pick into the Fay Five. But you guys, I'm open to uh, I'm open to suggestions. Obviously, what do you guys think? Mm. I really like, of course, the Prestige. Um, if you want to put the Shawshank Redemption in here, I feel like this is an odd movie club. I feel like we already have a prison movie. Like, yeah. So, I, okay. Here's the categories. Genre. We have, we have like, we have a heist movie. We have a prison movie. We have like a, like a mag- magician thriller. So we can eliminate like catch me if you can, or not catch me if you can. Uh, what's that one called? Now you see uh, me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then, uh, so we have, wait, what do we, so we have? That, we have an, and then and we have a nineties action movie. And we have an action movie. Yeah. So I think like, I think like we have all the kind of the big buckets filled and now it's just like, it should just be more about the lock. You know, it should be, it should be more about a movie that has like accurate lock picking. And that's, that's kind of why, because the thing, here's the thing. So it's in entrapment. Mo- in mo- then. So a lot what about, thief? <laughs> what, about what about, what about oceans 12? Um, when, when, uh, when he dances, no. break dances, no, Actually, Rafifi is a good one. Rafifi's um, good. Thief is has accurate lock picking. Uh, uh, because more what about Brazil? Here's oh. here's one thing: is in in film in cinema often technical things are portrayed in ways that are highly inaccurate, uh, like hacking. Anybody who knows anything about computers knows that hacking in movies is just like ridiculous. Um, lock picking, like lock picking. Let me use it. I'll give a specific example. If you ever seen the movie Inside Man, um, there's a part where they pick locks, and it's like this is not how you pick locks. <laughs> like this, anyone who's actually ever picked a lock knows that's not how you pick a lock. So, like, I think like it's cool a little bit to to pick a movie that has you know accurate safe cracking or lock picking. Like you said, Kevin, mm-hmm. safe cracking would be a good a good pick as well, a good uh, slant as well, because we want accurate lock breaking in our uh in our fave five okay so i put thief up for accurate safe cracking what is your number one nomination for accurate lock picking uh ter- probably terminator 2 All i think right. it's like the combination of of wait let me let me watch let me watch the lock picking in terminator 2 again to make sure that i uh that i'm i, I agree with this i'm gonna watch her right now okay she's good bizarre because so i'm uh, watching Eric, it. i'm gonna have you pick in a second yeah, this is pretty good, man. She's tensioning the lock with the bottom paperclip and then hitting the pins with the other ones. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, I'm going to go Terminator 2. Okay. Yeah. Are we going with the accurate safe cracking in Thief or the accurate lock picking in Terminator 2? I'm going Thief. We're going Thief. All right, good. Perfect. All I'm right. into it. Uh, all right, so that's it. If you have a movie that you'd like to lock in as well, tell us on the Discord. For Eric, for Kevin, we will see you next week. You can go Hawks.